Warning, the following program contains critical thinking, honest opinions, viewpoints on culture that may seem conservative, and a positive view on absolute detestable things such as marriage and children. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings, beautiful humans. I hope your cup of coffee this morning was just extremely effective and it gave you all the energy of a two-year-old and you feel ready to take on the world. Unless you are part of the World Health Organization, in which case I hope somebody switched your coffee out for decaf. As we head into the month of February, I am once again getting over a cold, um, something I seem to be doing a lot of this winter, but you know, it's fine. It's just if my voice sounds like I'm dying, it's because I might be, so you're just going to have to bear with me. Anyways, what I want to talk about today is something that gets a bit of, well, a lot of flack, actually, from the Republican side of politics. Um, Government assistance with food the SNAP program, food stamps. So recently, Iowa's Republican legislators, they proposed a bill to restrict food stamps in their state. And so I kind of wanted to talk about that and then jump into some of my opinions that kind of derive from this type of stuff. Um, They pretty much proposed this bill, House File 3. You can go look it up and read the bill text yourself. But uh, if I were you, I would do it after that, you know, cup of coffee kicks in because it's kind of a pain to read. Um, But pretty much one of the big kickers of the bill is that the way it was initially written, it would turn food stamps in the state of Iowa into another WIC program. And what the WIC program is, for those of you who don't know, it stands for Women, Infants, and Children and it's a nutritional program. So there's very limited things you can get on it, and it's very, very strict, and it is specifically for the purpose of pregnant mothers and mothers of children up to the age of five, I'm pretty sure, and it's to make sure that they're getting all the nutritional elements they need in their diet during that period of life. And I think one of the biggest things that people misunderstand about the WIC program is that it is not food stamps. Um, You are able to buy certain things, uh, but it's really not that much. And it's mainly limited to like whole grains. So you can buy like 100% whole wheat bread, but you can't buy any other bread. You can buy specific cereals like plain Cheerios or I like I don't remember what else. I think you can get kicks like that corn pop cereal or whatever, but it's called Kix. It's pretty nasty. You can get that on it. Um, (laughs) You can get baby food. You can get specific baby foods. Um, I don't know if baby formula has been added, but it wasn't when we used the program in our family like a long time ago. So I know you can get um, juice, milk, I know you can get like canned fish, like canned tuna and canned salmon. You can get peanut butter, lots of peanut butter, um, and you can get eggs, stuff like that. Uh, But the the list is not very long. And with certain things, like, I know you could get cheese when we did the program. um, (laughs) But the thing about WIC is that it's very, very specific. It'll tell you, oh, you can get 36 ounces of whole grain cereal, and you have to make sure that you get exactly 36 ounces or less. Like, it can't be, um, you know, 38 ounces. It can't be anything like that, you know, even if that's what is left at the store. You know, if you can only buy one box under that 36 ounces, that is what it is. Um, I know that that was a big issue with cheese, 
when we were using the program was um, it would say, oh, you can buy a 16 ounce block of Colby Jack or some other type of cheese. And if they didn't have a 16 ounce block of Colby Jack, you could not buy it. You couldn't buy two eight ounce blocks. It had to be the 16 ounce block. And the same thing went for milk, okay? If they were out of gallons of the specific type of milk you could buy, then you were out of luck because you could not just get two half gallons. Uh, and that that was what it was. I think when I looked at the list recently, I noticed that they had, in recent years, expanded the, like, certain things like milk. Okay, you used to be able, I think you could only buy, like, just whole milk or just 2% milk or something like that. Now you can get skim milk and almond milk and those types of things. So it's good in a sense that there are some modifications allowed to be made for like dietary restrictions and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, well, not everybody can eat all these grains. Not everybody can eat all these types of bread or these types of cereal or these types of things, you know? And so, um, yeah, making food stamps into another WIC program when a WIC program is meant to specifically be a supplemental nutritional program for mothers and young children, um, it just kind of doesn't make much sense, especially considering, like, whose, whose diet just consists of those things? The whole idea is that it's a supplemental nutritional program. Uh, that means that those things are, we're making sure they're provided to go along with your normal diet. If you were already at the max of your food budget and you can't expand your food budget to uh, get all these nutritional things that you as a mother or a pregnant lady or whatever your child, your child, I don't know, I can't use words, but if you can't expand your food budget to accommodate the added nutritional value that you're going to need during that time, then there's this supplemental program to come alongside you in your grocery shopping. That's the point of WIC. It is not supposed to be all the food you get. But yeah, so anyways, this bill that they proposed in Iowa, okay, um, along with a few other things that are related to Medicaid and the technical side of assigning who gets food stamps. As far as the actual food stamps program goes, or SNAP, it's the Supplemental Nutritional Assistance Program that's across the board in the United States. But as far as that goes, they really were, in the language of the bill, just trying to turn it into another WIC program, except for that was going to be for people who wouldn't normally get put on WIC. It just didn't make any sense. And I think that um, myself included, these people, the legislators, they got a lot of backlash for this move. And that resulted in one of the more entertaining comments that I've seen about this whole situation. I was reading this article and apparently um, Representative Ann Meyer, she's one of the Republican legislators who is actively working on this legislation, she says, and I quote, I didn't realize how tight the WIC list was and I would have never assumed that it wouldn't include fresh produce and meat, Meyer said. We don't want to provide unhealthy food, but we also don't want to stop people from getting fresh food. And what's hilarious to me about this um, specifically is that the WIC list is so short. 
Okay. And if you look up, you know, Tennessee WIC approved food items or Iowa WIC approved food items or, you know, Florida WIC approved food items, they're pretty, they're all the same. Okay. And there's always a PDF document of WIC approved food items in that state for people to reference. And it's just such a short document. It is so easy to just pull up and look and see, oh, wow, there's not that much on here. And be like, huh, maybe we shouldn't restrict the entire food stamps program to this. Um, So I just thought it was funny. I'm like, I don't know if this woman is playing dumb like she had no idea. Because that's what it seems like. She either is dumb, okay, and these legislators had no idea. They didn't even think to look up what was actually approved on WIC. Or she's playing dumb because they tried to make a move and they got backlash for it. I'm going to go with it's probably the latter, but you know, that's just my own personal intuition here. I could be wrong. I don't know. I'm not inside this woman's head, but yeah. I guess what I'm saying though about that specifically is just kind of this misunderstanding of what these programs are and what they do. I'm like, even the legislators that are writing this legislation don't really understand what these programs are and what they do, much less, you know, people who are getting upset with the people who use them. And so it's just kind of one of those things where I'm like, can we just clear, can we just clear a few things up? Okay. You can't buy hot foods with food stamps. Believe it or not, you can't go up to the bar at the Publix down the road, okay, and start filling yourself up a cup of potato salad and get yourself a sub for lunch. Okay, that's not how it works. It's all prepackaged foods and cold foods and, like, produce, okay? Like, you can't buy, like, hot, ready-to-eat things. There are restrictions on food stamps. I'm not saying that there can't be more. Because we're going to talk about this in a minute because this is kind of where the legislation in Iowa seems to be going. But, you know, if somebody was like, okay, hey, let's, you know, ban soda and candy. Let's take that off food stamps. People can't get that on food stamps. I'm not opposed to that. And I don't know many people on food stamps who would be, like, extremely opposed to that. They might be like, oh, bummer. But, like, no, nobody cares. Nobody cares that much. That is not the large chunk of what they're spending their food stamps money on. But I digress. Okay, one of the things that I found when I was reading this bill was a page on the Iowa legislature's website that shows all of the public testimony that was given for and against the bill. Let's just put it this way. I think there were like two testimonies supporting this bill and there was a crap ton opposing it. So I just want to kind of read through a couple of them. A a lot of them are repeating the same points, but this is one from a retired citizen in Iowa. It says, this is not appropriate to limit meat and protein sources for families receiving essential SNAP benefits. This impacts the growing brains of children. If you intend to be pro-life, then let's be sure that children and families have ongoing access to SNAP foods to feed their families. Increase education and guidelines for good choices, but do not remove fresh meat and other foods. I see no purpose for these changes. It feels mean-spirited and unhealthy. The statistics are clear. More people are now food insecure. More people are living in food deserts 
without transportation or access to real grocery stores. Yes, here in Iowa, where much of the nation's food is grown. Focus on supporting SNAP to support growing families. Now, for this one, like the little pro-life comment they had there, um, there's a lot of that in here, too, where the testimony is obviously from somebody who is from a liberal point of view, and so they'll throw that pro-life comment out there like they do with the whole adoption thing. They'll be like, oh, well, you don't want us to have abortions, but do you even care about the child after they're born? Do you even want to adopt children? What is wrong with you? So there's a lot of that type of argumentation in a lot of the testimonies, but uh, I don't think that's even needed to make the other points that these testimonies make. Somebody else who's with the League of Women Voters in Iowa said, I just returned from my local grocery store. As I looked at the products that will help young people grow healthy and strong and develop their brain power, I was saddened to think that in Iowa there is an effort to limit common items such as fresh meat and bread. What can the committee be thinking? As a retired teacher with lots of experience with children in my own family, Iowa needs to do everything it can to help young families be successful, not limit foods for children. The job of legislators needs to be working to make Iowa the best place to raise children, not throw up needless barriers to families' lives. Now, I only read that one because of the emphasis on the children there at the end. Because if you ask me, that's one of the biggest parts of all of this, is the children in the equation. And I'm sure I'll end up going on a rant about this, you know, later on. But, <laughs> you know, like, even if you personally disagree with all these government assistance programs, not just food stamps, but like all of them and whatever, even if you don't like them and you think we should get rid of them, even if you have no sympathy for any adults involved, no matter what their situation is, what about the kids? Okay, what about the children growing up in homes where their parents are on food stamps and that is how they are fed? Where their parents are on food stamps and that is why they are not digging through their pantries at one o'clock in the morning because they've been starving all day, okay, and then they come home and all there is in the pantry is like a bottle of mustard and a container of crackers. Okay, nobody wants that. For any kid. If you do, that's kind of, you know, I think you have issues. But no, nobody wants that for a child. Nobody even wants that for a teenager, okay? That is not a situation that we want to put children in. So if we can take children out of that situation through food stamps, then I think that's kind of like where your thought energy should go instead of getting upset that it's even a thing and all these adults need to just get off their butts and work. Okay, it's like, yeah, okay, but like, what about the kids? Okay, <laughs> even if your perception is right and every single person on food stamps is a lazy bum who needs to get off their butt and work. Okay, even if that is correct, what about their kids? That's my question to people who have that perception. But um, anyways, I'll move on. I'll read one more testimony here. Somebody said, This bill punishes people for being poor, many of whom are among the working poor, who may hold more than one minimum wage job. Legislators should, instead of visiting constituents who donate to their campaigns, visit food banks in their districts to learn more about the real needs of people in their district. SNAP programs are largely funded by the federal government, which is true, the state, I'm pretty sure, carries 
half the burden, if half, I don't know, but it is a federal program. Um, and a state with 1.8 billion surplus, Iowa, <laughs> should not be making cuts to the budget on the backs of people who may work in meat processing plants, grocery stores, or what are considered vital jobs. The legislators support the right to life until those children are born into poor families that live below what is considered the poverty line. There's that pro-life issue again. Then this person goes on to talk about assets and the new restrictions they're putting on those, or wanting to put on those at least. Um, I'll end up talking about that as well in this episode. Uh, talks about the salt and sugar levels in canned goods, such as fruits, vegetables, and meat are not healthy for someone who may have high blood pressure, heart issues, or diabetes. Fresh meat, vegetables, and fruit can be far less expensive than canned goods unless the canned goods are on sale. I think it is ridiculous to exclude white rice from the food that people can buy because that is something that can be used to stretch whatever food items a family may have. There are many people availing themselves of food banks for items such as toilet paper, paper towels, dish, bath, and laundry soap, toothpaste, shampoo, diapers, feminine hygiene products because SNAP doesn't allow the monies to be used for those basic human hygiene products. Now, that's an entirely different issue because SNAP is the food stamps program. Of course, it's not going to cover that other stuff, but that's whatever. Now, this person says, people who use to, do to donate to food banks are finding themselves getting donations from a food bank to make it through the month. This is a punitive and draconian bill to punish the working poor, elderly people on limited incomes, and children who are less fortunate in this state. This is shameful. But all this testimony, of course, took place when the bill had its hearing on the subcommittee it was assigned to. So since that committee meeting where they heard all of this testimony, the legislators have since come out and said, oh, hey, don't worry, we didn't realize it was this big of a deal and that it wasn't a good move, so now we're not going to restrict it to being WIC items only. There's an amendment coming. Whether or not this amendment will actually come is yet to be seen. Who knows? Um, if the bill is actually amended in the end and passes as amended, I don't know if it'll be a good bill um, even at that point because there's other things in the bill that are kind of iffy too. Um, but <laughs> if the bill is actually amended to just get rid of soda and candy when it comes to what's allowed on food stamps, then I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't think most people on SNAP would think too much of it. Um, I also kind of think that the other way around of looking at it is, you know, yeah, it's not the end of the world if you can't buy these things with food stamps. But at the same time, I don't think it's the end of the world to allow people to buy these things with food stamps. Um, the reality is that the United States population eats pretty poorly across the board. We consume pretty poorly across the board. There's a lot of ingredients, okay, beauty products, food products, shampoos, etc. Things that get recalled on a regular basis. Okay, I think I just saw something about like Johnson & Johnson baby shampoo or lotion or something, like having bleach in it. Okay, these things are not like unknown. We know we consume a lot of things that are terrible for us. Um, you know, there are things that we consume in the United States that have been banned in other countries for years now, okay? Um, and the FDA still continues to approve all sorts of things that we probably shouldn't be consuming. But 
my thing here is like with soda and candy and whatever, it's just like, okay, yeah, you you take it off food stamps. What what exactly did that do? I mean, if you're trying to make sure that people are eating healthier, I mean, yeah, but you know, food. I mean, I mean, if somebody's gonna buy soda and candy. I'm I'm sure, you know, it'll happen. If they're using food stamps to buy it, I'm sure that, you know, they're not using their entire food stamps budget just to buy that. So I'm sure if they really want to buy their kid a Coke, they'll find a way to buy their kid a Coke. But if your pitch for taking those two things off of food stamps is that you want people to eat healthier, the impact level would be pretty low, if you ask me. Also, Thinking kind of from like a parent perspective here, okay, doesn't it feel good to buy your kids the things that they want or to buy your kids something that you want to get them just as a little treat or a little surprise? Um, If a low-income child has a birthday, right, and the most that their parent can do is run up to the local dollar store or the grocery store or whatever and fill a freaking bag, okay, with a can of Coke and their kid's favorite candies, Okay, or their kid's favorite donut or whatever it is, okay, and they can do that because they have food stamps. I just think that there's something to be said for that, and you can sit there all day long and be like, okay, well, they could have saved up a couple of dollars and done the same thing, or, you know, my parents were never on food stamps and that's what I got for my birthday, or, you know, whatever it is, okay, but I just think that there's a lot of situations out there and we can't all individually experience every single possible situation, and so I think that, you know, there's something to be said for just considering the possibility that food stamps really do benefit good people, (laughs) and, you know, and going from there, instead of going from a place of resentment towards people who are on these government assistance programs. Uh, There's also the issue of food security and I think what that looks like for children. You know, (laughs) I mean, in this context, I'm not necessarily too concerned about the adults in the situation. It sucks, obviously. They are in a pretty crap position. But as far as the children go, we all grow up. Okay, we all learn at some point in life that you just kind of have to deal and move on. You can't, you know, just take the hits and fall down with them because if you do that, you're not going to live. You're not going to survive. It's just the world is freaking over because you can't pull yourself up after getting knocked down. But (laughs) when it comes to children, okay, as a parent or as, you know, just another human being, okay, you don't want to look at a child and, you know, and see them struggling on the food front, okay? And you can either take the approach of you don't want this child to, you know, wake up in the middle of the night starving because they could only eat a couple meals that day, or you don't want them to wake up hungry and go looking for food and there's only crackers, okay, and a bottle of freaking ketchup or something you know you don't want that but like it's like at the same time if you were raising kids how would you feel if your pantry was only stocked with like eggs and bread and milk whole wheat bread by the way okay and 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 there's some baby food in there too even though you know you don't have 
babies anymore. Okay, and your and your and your like nine year old daughter comes to you and she wants to have a slumber party. Okay, her first slumber party, and her friends are gonna come over and she doesn't want them to make fun of how lame her house is. And so you know you decorate things, you clean the house, and you make the you make her room look all nice, and she rearranges her furniture and puts on her favorite outfit of the week and all this stuff. Okay. And what do you want to do for the kid, okay? You want to go grab them a freaking two liter of soda, a bag of chips, and a few freezer pizzas because you want your kid to have fun on her first slumber party at your house. (laughs) I mean, I remember being a kid. I was a judgmental kid, okay? If I went over to somebody's house and they didn't have a good, like, selection of food in their pantry, I was vocal, okay? I'd be like, I don't like coming to your house. You guys never have any food. One of my favorite childhood friends' houses was, like, across the street. She, They always had food. And I remember one time I went over there and there was no butter. Man, 10-year-old me was not happy. I was like, what is wrong with you guys? Do you even go to the store? Why is there no butter? Okay. And that was coming from, you know, me. I was a pretty tame kid, but I guess not when it came to food and being hungry. I wanted to eat. And so, you know, the the things that little kids say and the perceptions that little kids have, I'm like, those are very important in the way that they end up learning to process things and the way that they end up growing up and the views that they have when they get older. And so I think, you know, it just sucks to think, oh, well, as a parent, I can't provide any of those nice little things for my children. But if I have food stamps and I get all this flack from the people around me for getting on food stamps, I can provide that for my child. I don't know. I guess with situations like this, I guess I view it as even if you have no ounce of sympathy for adults in these types of situations. I don't get that, but even if that is the case for you or somebody else, okay. What about the kids, okay? Will you have some sympathy for them? I mean, I don't know. I I, I don't know. I, I just have sympathy for the cause, okay? I, I don't, don't come at me, man, okay? Quit being so aggressive, all right? But I just think that just having a fully stocked pantry, having a fully stocked fridge, having snacks that the kids can grab, okay? Having food that other kids like to eat. So when those other kids come over, it's just feels like this normal thing. I think those are extremely beneficial to a child in that situation, to children in that situation. Because, I mean, one, stability. If you have that food on a consistent basis, Things feel stable. It's not just, oh, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. This week we don't have food. Next week we might. You know, it's, okay, we have food. There is always going to be food in my pantry because my parents are doing their best and there is food. Like, you know, it's that kind of thing. There's that security. There's that stability. And then I think as well, there's a lack of embarrassment that comes along with having that food. Um, You know, if a child has friends over, they can just be like, yeah, we've got food. Okay, if a child is packing lunch to go to school or packing a lunch to go on a field trip or whatever it is, okay, they can go, okay, I have food. You know, there's just a lot of those things and they're very important when it comes to children and their development and how they grow up and how they see the world. You can't protect them forever. You really, there's no way you can possibly do that. But 
as a parent or as an individual who, you know, knows any children, okay, your instincts should be to be like, okay, well, what can I do in this situation to make it easier on the small child? Okay, on the teenager who's probably already dealing with everything else in that situation that, that's not fun, that's crappy. But if we can give them food, that is something. Trust me, it's something. I've been there, okay? And so I, I just think that, you know, that kind of needs to be taken into account and looking at it through this lens of, okay, well, even if I don't agree with the decisions that somebody is making, what about their kids? And, you know, and I don't think the decision-making aspect is really on my uh, radar for my perspective on this whole situation. But if it is for somebody else, my question is, okay, well, what about the children? Um, I know I've said it, but I'm just going to keep repeating it because it really is the most important part of this for me. And I can already tell this episode is going to be a long one. Um, I'll try to be quick, but I'm not very good at that. I'm a very wordy person. Um, normally, when I would submit an essay for school, I could crank that thing out in like an hour, and then I had to spend another hour probably like taking words out because it was so far past the word maximum. So I'll just put that out there for you. But anyways... The Republican opinion, and I feel like a lot of people in the U.S., their opinion on people who participate in the food stamps program is that, like, oh, they're lazy, they're irresponsible, they make bad decisions with their money, all this stuff, okay? And I've also seen a large amount of the blame when it comes to who is on food stamps put on single mothers and put on mothers in general, which I think is just in insane. I don't know if it's just because... Um, mothers are, I mean, I'm sure single mothers make up a large percentage of people on food stamps. That is why there's all the statistics of, okay, well, you know, we, ha we have households that are not <laughs> two-parent households. We have an issue with fatherlessness in the home. And so I understand that those are real issues, but I think when people have this perception of these lazy, irresponsible, bad people are the ones on food stamps, and then you also add on to that, and it's you single mothers out there, it's you mothers who can't just, you know, pick one man and stick to them. I did a few, like, short videos, okay, and posted them to my platforms, like, on this Iowa legislation when I first heard about it, and I got a comment telling me to go back to my baby daddy and get a job. I was like, sir. I'm not even the person in this situation. Like, do I have a baby daddy? Because I didn't know I had one. I didn't even know I had a baby. But it's just kind of like that negative attitude towards um, these people when I'm just like, in large part, a lot of the people who are on food stamps are on it because they have children and they need to provide for their children. It's not because they're the worst person on planet Earth. It's not because they're a lazy bum with no job and no children. You know, it, it, it's because they are trying and the way that our society is set up, it's not exactly built for getting people back up on their feet. It's just not. And there's also this running trend of, like I mentioned earlier, people not fully understanding the extent of these programs and what they actually involve. Um, and that kind of bleeds into people's perceptions of, you know, who is on them. I think uh, there's a lot of people <laughs> that will look at somebody on food stamps and be like, yeah, you know, it's just another person mooching off the system, mooching off my taxpayer dollars. And I'm like, dude, 
come on. I'm like, so <laughs> you have you can't just have no income to be on food stamps. You have to have an income and it has to be a taxable income. I'm like, these people are using a government assistance program that their taxpayer dollars are also going towards. Do you understand how that works? I'm like, my taxpayer dollars go towards it. Your taxpayer dollars go towards it. And the person who is on food stamps, their taxpayer dollars goes towards it. Like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I like, And the thing, the funny thing too is like, we don't control where our taxes go as far as like what they fund, okay? I grew up homeschooled. I plan on homeschooling my children. I have no interest in sending them into the secular public school system or even a private school. I have no interest in it. There's a lot of reasons. There's political reasons. There's religious reasons. There's just general parent protective reasons why I am against the public school system. But I'm like, Regardless of that, my taxpayer dollars still go towards the public education system. I don't get a choice in it. But do you see me deeming everybody who uses the public education system a horrible, lazy person because they won't just figure out how to homeschool their kids? No. <laughs> so can we just chill out? Can we stop being so mean and judgmental? I mean, I know I'm one to talk, but come on. I know there is something to be said, like I was talking about, for the, you know, issues with fatherlessness in the home and single motherhood and all of that stuff. A lot of people think that programs like SNAP are incentivizing that type of lifestyle. I don't necessarily know if they direct they don't directly incentivize it i don't think but i can see where it kind of turns into this like you know societal circle of just repetitive not really going anywhere if that makes sense i can i can see the issues with it i'm not blind to the fraud issues i'm not blind to the people who use the system but if you ask me if there's going to be people who use and abuse the system no matter what the system is and as far as the fraud issues go, there's like a report that comes out from the federal government. I read it like a year or two ago in full because I was <laughs> I was interning somewhere and I had nothing to do. And so I just read this full packet or whatever. But pretty much they know the government knows there's fraud. OK, the, the, I'm sure if they really wanted to, they could take actions to kind of, you know, curb that a bit okay, and make it to where there's like less fraud in the food stamp system. But they obviously that's not their top priority. OK, they obviously don't care enough to do something drastic about it. And so, you know, if we could just quit whining about it, I think that would be great because there's a lot of fraud when it comes to the government. There's a lot Okay, and it's not just on behalf of the people. I really get tired of, you know, acting like the government has our best interest at heart. I really do. Because I'm like, <sighs> they don't. They really don't. And I'm like, that's another thing too, okay? You, you, it's already hard enough for most people to ask for help. Much less help with finances. Much less help with finances from the government who they know does not care about them. So I, ju I just think it's insane that we gang up on people who are on these programs because I'm like, in large part, they know. I'm like, I know there are people who 
take advantage of the system. I know there are people who just live in it and that's all that ever happens. They never make it out of that situation. But there are people who it helps. I think in America, we talk a lot about race and gender and sex and all these different barriers. Okay, quotation marks there. But um, I think that the one very real barrier that exists in the United States of America is the socioeconomic barrier. It is very real. It's been a thing probably for <laughs> since the beginning of money, I guess. I don't know. Probably before that, honestly. But people get caught up on this idea that if you make too much money, these benefits go away. So people just purposefully stay there under a certain income level. But I've got two things to say about that. Okay, if somebody is trying to stay in the income bracket by not working that extra day a week or something, if they did work that extra day a week and their assistance went away due to that income, would they be in a better position or a potentially devastating one? Okay, would they be able to be living a normal functioning lifestyle without the food stamps and with that one extra day of work a week? or is it in the best interest of them and their family to stay on that, you know, and not work that extra day a week until they are out of that situation and can actually pay for everything that they need to pay for? I don't know. It depends on the situation, I guess. But also, okay, what about people who don't even make enough to qualify for food stamps, to qualify for other forms of governmental assistance? Okay, isn't it insane, okay, that we say, hey, I know you applied for this help because you you need it, um, but you're too poor to get the help that's specifically for poor people. Um, yeah, it's kind it's kind of messed up. Our I, I just I I take issue with the fact that we judge a lot of who gets to be on certain programs, who gets certain resources um, when it comes to homeless shelters and things like that. It's a lot of asset-based stuff. There's a lot of income restrictions. There's a lot of like brackets that you have to fall in between. And, you know, I know there's a reason for that. You can't possibly really spend the time evaluating every single situation and figuring out who is honest and who is not and who is really hardworking and who is not. And so there are these brackets for a reason. But at the same time, it's like there are so many people who desperately need this type of help, not just food stamps, but everything else, and not just government assistance either, but they're not going to get it because they don't fall within that little bracket. And that's where a lot of people's approach to try to fix the system comes in. Okay, can we just fix it? You know, like people, you know, want to just fix it. They want to get rid of the fraud, okay, and then they want to put, and to do that, they want to put more regulations and checks in place. Okay, which kind of strikes me as eerily similar to homeschool regulations and the issue with that because it's like, okay, well, you don't have enough homeschool regulations. People are going to find all sorts of societal issues like abuse. Okay, and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, if we just put more regulations on homeschoolers, then there would be less abuse in the home. And it's like, okay, um, sure. Uh, what kind of regulations. And then by the time you get through all the rules and regulations that they want to put in place to fix the system, the system is not in any way effective in the way that it should have been 
if it was just left alone. And so I don't, you know, that might not be a perfect analogy. I'm sure somebody on the internet can just tear that up to shreds. That's fine. Um, I don't claim to be any sort of like intellectual PhD uh, holding like professor type person. Okay. I haven't wrote any books. I'm not an expert on any of these subjects. I'm just sharing my opinion and my experience, but it's kind of like that. If you ask me, I think that like I was talking about with the brackets. Okay. This Iowa legislation, uh, some of the other stuff in the bill has to do with taking assets into account when uh, deciding if somebody qualifies or doesn't qualify for food stamps or Medicaid or things like that. And there are plenty of states that already do that. They take people's assets, like their vehicles and their homes and things and savings accounts. They take stuff into consideration like that um, when they're judging whether or not you have money. <laughs> and I, I'm not the biggest fan of that approach, but I am just saying that it's kind of already the case in a lot of states. And on that note, I have another um, testimony from the bill hearing to read to you. Um, so this is somebody with uh, Save the Children Action Network, I'm assuming out of Iowa, I have no idea, but they said, I am registering in strong opposition to asset limits, increased recertification checks, and mandatory trainings proposed as part of House File 3. I am a full-time working mom with my two children who have dietary allergies, learning disabilities, and sensory issues. My full-time gross monthly income averages out to $2,000, so we struggle to fill nutrition gaps after we run out of SNAP before the end of each month. With rising costs of everything from food to gas, there is no room to save, and I feel like each year brings a new crisis that causes us to count on tax refunds to pay for things like vehicle repairs. I've had to skip paying the power bill at times to ensure that we have enough food, or I have to choose to be late on rent. Even though we struggle, the public conversation around people who receive assistance makes me ashamed to go to food pantries or even the gospel mission to eat because I know there are others that struggle probably more than we do. As far as mandating, participating in trainings, increasing the number of recertification checks, I work full-time, my children go to school, we have mental health appointments to support their learning and behavioral challenges, there are no more hours in the day to, de to devote to additional hurdles. Lawmakers need to stop assuming that families like mine who benefit from SNAP are in need of additional checkups, asset limits, and restrictions. Instead, invest more in programs like Double Up Food Bucks, uh, I'll explain that in a minute. A part of House File 3 commits $1 million to this program so families like mine can access more fresh fruits and vegetables. If elected leaders could pass this without limitations, it would be a step in the right direction. Now is not the time to make it harder to access benefits. Focus on solutions that help, not finding ways to make it harder on children and families. Now, the Double Up Food Bucks program is just uh, something they have in Iowa that is supposed to make it cheaper for families to buy fresh produce. Um, so that's a, another section of the bill which people are in favor of, but they're like, can we just pass this without all the other stuff in the bill? Um, so anyways, about this specific statement, I, I think what happens here is when we start trying to fit people into an even tighter box of what needing help looks like, then there's so many people who fall outside of that box who need help, but because they don't fit that definition of needing help, they don't fit within those brackets, they don't get the help that they need. Um, <laughs> which leads us to the people who say, well, let's just get rid of it. It just needs to go. 
get this program away. We don't need any of these government assistant programs. They just need to go. We need to flush them down the drain. They do not deserve to live. Okay. So if you ask me, I think it's all deeper than just giving people the help they need. Because like I said before, okay, if the government wanted to fix the fraud issues with this system, there are ways to do that. Have they done it? No. Okay. Um, the commerce that comes out of something like food stamps and comes out of governmental assistance programs like free and subsidized daycare, okay, these programs create a lot of stimulation for the economy. They just do. I'm not an economist, but they do, okay? Um, why would the government get rid of any of these programs when these programs are so integrated into what the government wants our society to look like? And also, why would businesses, okay, like Nestle and the soda companies and all, all these other food product companies, okay, why would they be okay with getting taken off food stamps if they're going to lose so much money in sales? They are. There's a lot of people on food stamps, probably people that you know that have never said they're on food stamps because, you know, uh, there's a stigma to it. People are ashamed. People are embarrassed. It sucks. It's not a position you want to be in. And so it's not like people are walking around bragging. I mean, if they are, that's interesting. But the people that I've met who are on food stamps, okay, do not walk around going, I have food stamps. Look at me. I don't have to pay directly for my food, but you do. <laughs> yeah, nobody does that. If they do, that, they're special. They're real special. And, and mm. But I've never met anybody that does that, and there's a reason, okay? Nobody wants that. It's just something that they have to deal with. And so... um. Anyways, I don't know where I was going with that, but if we just got rid of food stamps and other assistance programs, a lot of people would be left hanging and there would be a lot of money lost for businesses. Grocery stores would see a major drop in sales. They just would. And by consequence, okay, that means all these food production companies and drink production companies would also see a huge drop in sales. Why do you think, okay, multiple states over the last several years, have applied to do the exact same thing that Iowa is doing right now. They want to apply, because that's what they have to do, they have to apply to the federal government and ask for a waiver to take soda and candy off of the food stamps program. Other states have done that over the last several years, and they've been denied that waiver by the federal government. There is a deeper reason for that. It is not just because the federal government wants everybody to have access to soda and candy. It's because there are money reasons, okay? Our government is a greedy government. Our government is a government that's not really essentially for the people. And so the sooner that clicks in our heads, the less frustrating it is to interact with other people. <laughs> I'm just saying. Because it's really not the person who owns on food stamps. It's not their fault that the federal government has ties to businesses and won't take certain things off of food stamps because there would be a drop in sales. There would be a major flip-flop in how our economy looks. Okay, there would be all those consequences. And as much as I want to say when it comes to just getting rid of the food stamps program itself, as much as I would like to say that food banks and churches and just good communities would fill that gap, okay, I highly, highly doubt it. And this 
made me think back to one of the other testimonies I wrote. So I have it here. Okay. Or not a testimony I wrote, but a testimony I read. Okay. Somebody else testified on this bill and said, I'm invested in helping the food insecure in Villas... Villisca? I don't know. I don't know Iowa cities. Anyways, this person said, I assist with the Inner Church Council Food Pantry. I serve on the board of Feed the Pack, uh, whose mission is to feed the hungry youth and elderly in our community. We do this by providing weekend and school break meals to eligible students. Those on free and reduced lunch may sign up for the weekend meals. We provide a community table twice a month for the older adults living in our rent-assisted apartments. Um, this is not new- unique. Hunger and poverty are real in our farming communities of Southwest Iowa. Every other month, we deliver 85 food boxes from the food bank of the Heartland's mobile food pantry. Based on census data, this is 17% of our 504 households. These households are referred to us by the physician office and community members. Today at the food pantry, I helped a retired man shop. He was shopping for his household of three adults and three children. One of the adults is his wife. He and his wife are living on $1,500 a month and $51 a month in SNAP support. That's another thing, too. Just because somebody's on food stamps does not mean they're really getting that much. Okay, $51 a month for groceries. That is helping. Okay, that is not even really taking care of maybe a week, you know, like this kind of one of those things. It's just like, oh, here's a coupon for your food. Um, (laughs) But this person goes on with rising utility costs and living expenses. He says they run out of money at the middle of the month and now his car won't work. SNAP is a federal program for which Iowa pays a portion of the administrative costs. What is the reason for cutting food resources that come from the federal government? Could you and one other person live on a food budget of $51 a month? Now you want to make it harder to qualify for SNAP benefits and limit what can be purchased to a diet designed to supplement the nutrition of pregnant women, nursing mothers, and children ages 1 to 5. This diet was not intended to be the only food for this population. If your goal is to make it harder for our elderly, disabled, and working poor families to thrive, you will meet that goal with this bill. If this bill passes with restricted food choices, along with only allowing one vehicle per family in rural Iowa, where most have to drive to get to work or school, now that's talking about the assets, (laughs) Iowa will see an increase in hunger. I challenge any legislator to eat only what is on WIC for at least a month. If you try to do that and it doesn't work, just know that you are welcome to stop in our food pantry on Wednesday where you will be offered meat, baked beans, soup, salad dressing, mayonnaise to mix with your wick tuna and salmon, and a lot of other food not available to you on a, on a wick food list. Okay, so that person made um, a decent amount of pointed points for sure. Um, I I feel like if somebody had sent me in to testify on this bill, I probably would have been just as direct and frustrated. So I don't blame them. But as far as the one vehicle per family thing goes, okay, when it comes to assets, when you're taking into account these types of things, okay, I'm just going to put this out there. I don't have insurance. I can't personally pay for insurance. I, my parents do not have an insurance plan on which I can be, um, even though a lot, a lot of people my age, that is kind of what's expected is that you'll still be on your parents' insurance, but I can't pay for private insurance and I have applied for public Medicaid insurance and I've been denied multiple times and one of the main reasons for that is because I have a vehicle. They consider my vehicle an asset and even though I 
do not make enough money to pay the 400 something dollars a month they want me to pay for Medicaid. <laughs> Good job, Obama. You really uh, revitalized the healthcare system. Um, <laughs> just saying. Um, because they consider my vehicle an asset, I do not have health insurance. And I am not the only person that is affected by the whole asset situation. I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like, I need a vehicle to drive to work, but I do not make enough money to pay the price you want me to pay for insurance. Make it make sense. Make it make sense. But um, but there's a lot of families in that situation as well, where it's like, okay, well, we have, you know, three kids, and it's me and my husband, and we both work, and so we have two cars. Well, in some states, if you have two cars and you have a certain level of income and maybe you have 500 bucks saved in the bank, okay, for a rainy day, won't even buy you a new set of tires, okay, right? Not 500 bucks, no. Um, so those are all assets. Maybe you own a home. That's an asset. Even if you are struggling, struggling, those assets can stop you from getting food stamps and being on Medicaid, having insurance, okay, for dental care, for health care, for a vision care, okay? It's just, it's really screwy the way that we deal with all this stuff. It just is. I, I really, <laughs> I, I'm trying not to get too worked up over all this, but it's just kind of, yeah. I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the system, my guy. But I'll hit one more point before I kind of just wrap things up. Um, I know I've held your ear a little bit longer than normal this week, but I think you'll live. Um, so I think with some things, it's very important to take your own personal experience and your own personal growth and your own personal decisions out of the equation when you're dealing with other people and relating to other people. Perhaps when you were growing up, there wasn't enough food or there wasn't enough clothes or there just wasn't enough of anything and you pulled through just fine, okay? And those experiences have made you stronger. They have bettered you as a person. And that's not a bad way to process those things. It's not a bad way to look back on your personal experiences. It's, it's not a bad thing to have that perspective in life. But my question is, having gone through that, okay, or having watched somebody else go through that, or having heard stories of maybe your mom or dad going through that as a kid, okay, when you are a parent or you know, if you are a parent, would you not or have you not done your best to avoid putting your own child through that? For some people, avoiding putting their own children through that means accepting help, even though they probably don't want to accept that help. And we can talk all day long about food banks and we can talk all day long about churches and, you know, supportive communities. But the reality is that not everybody has that. Not all needs are met. And sometimes it just is what it is. And we have a system in place, whether or not it's the best system, whether or not it, you know, is kind of a crappy system, it exists. And so to tell people that just because they're using a system that's in existence, okay, that they can't personally shut down or supplement with something else, to, to tell them that they should be embarrassed, okay, or that they're lazy, 
or whatever just because they're accepting the help that's available to them. I just, I don't really agree with that. Um, also, another thing that I meant to mention earlier when I was talking about food banks, okay, here you go. Uh, I know I said one more thing, but no, um, is I think it's interesting the amount of, you know, people who get upset at the mothers and the single mothers, okay? Because when I have showed up to food banks in the past, whether it was to volunteer or to go with my mother to the food bank for our family, um, I've always felt it interesting the amount of women who are there to get food. It's and I don't think it's always because they are single mothers, okay? I think it is because even in families that have the father there, the father's at work, okay? And in a normal situation, okay, who does the grocery shopping with? If the dad is the main, you know, worker of the house, okay, and he goes out every day and he brings in the income, okay, then usually the mother or the wife, okay, is the one who is using that income and budgeting and doing the grocery shopping and planning out the meals, etc. Okay, I'm not saying there's situations in which that can't be flip-flopped around, but in general, I feel like that's kind of the balance there. And so, even in families where there is a two-parent household, I feel like a lot of the time the moms or the wives are the ones that are left to go be like, okay, this is embarrassing but I need to humble myself and I need to run up to the food bank or I need to run up to the church and I need to ask for this or I need to be the one to apply for food stamps because my husband's been working all week and he doesn't have the energy to go through this whole application. So I, I think that that ends up hitting moms and wives a lot. They get kind of the brunt of the embarrassment. They're also most likely to be the ones going into the store and shopping and paying with a food stamps card and, you know, being looked at weird or having somebody comment in line behind them. And so I think instead of ganging up on moms and wives and the women in these situations, we need to take a step back and realize what they're going through in order to use these benefits. Okay, in order to use this assistance, what are they having to sacrifice of themselves? Nobody goes into life, nobody gets married, nobody starts a family as a man wanting to not provide adequately. And nobody as a woman goes into those situations being like, oh yeah, it's fine if we're not provided for adequately. I'll just go embarrass myself in public some more. Like, neither party goes into that wanting that, and neither party endures that, you know, joyfully, really. I mean, some people might do their best, you know, Christians were supposed to be joyful and content in our circumstances, but that's not always the case. You know, it is a, a hard situation to be in. And so I think that we need to find the sympathy for the people and keep the hatred and frustration for the system and the government that implements it. I think we need to keep the sympathy for the individuals and the families and the children that are experiencing these situations who are low income, who are below the poverty line, and who are dealing with all this on a regular basis. Because it's really, um, for... <laughs> 
for lack of curse words, because I, you know, am presenting myself in a good public light here. Um, <laughs> it's a crap storm, okay, when you're in these types of low-income situations. It's a crap storm. Everything is the end of the world, and people say money can't buy happiness. No, it can't, but it can give you stability. And people will say over and over and over again how important a stable childhood is, how important a stable lifestyle is, because it is so important for your headspace, for your mentality, for your spiritual, uh, you know, relationship, okay? Because, you know, there's a lot of people out there. They've had a rocky life, okay? And, you know, and some of them have gotten past the rockiness of all that. And they are in a good space about it mentally. They're in a good space about it spiritually. Okay, but I guarantee you, most Christians who have been in those types of situations, if there wasn't some point in there, like if that lasted longer than a few months, if there wasn't some point in there where that person, um, you know, had a whole sit down with God and was like, come on, man, really? Um, then you know, that, that's an interesting person right there. Couldn't be me. Couldn't be Job. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Um, so I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know really if I've said any of this very, um, you know, elegantly, but I hope you get the point that I'm trying to get across. There is a stigma around these things. It's embarrassing to ask for help. It's embarrassing to get that help from a source that you know does not care about you. And it's hard to know that even though you are doing everything you can, people will still look down on you as like this societal leech. Um, so like I said before, somebody you know is probably on food stamps or has been in the past, even if it was just for a month or two. Um, people do worse things to get by. People do worse things to provide for their children, etc. People do worse things than just letting the government give them some money for food. So let's just take a chill pill. I, I think a, a running theme over the last couple episodes has been we are not all the same. Just because you had a strong community of believers come around you in your time of need, okay, and people donated vehicles and, um, you know, were around you and gave you money and gift cards and stuff, or they helped you pay medical bills, or they helped you build a new home, just because maybe you had that support or somebody else you know had that support, it doesn't mean that every single person has that. And that doesn't mean that, you know, it should be this big weight, okay, of, you know, well, God did this for somebody else, why can't they do it for me? Or God did this for them, why aren't they doing it for this person? It shouldn't be that, okay? But it should be just something that gives us a little bit of leeway, to have some sympathy for those who do not have support, who do not have those resources around them, and to be a bit understanding when they do use the resources that are available to them. And one more thing. I know, I'm like a pastor who keeps saying, one more thing, one more thing. Wait, I know we're 15 minutes past. Uh, I usually let y'all out at noon, but uh, I got one more thing and then we'll start worship and y'all can head out. But no, genuinely, okay, I do want to take note of one thing because I keep saying, you know, it'd be nice to think that churches and communities and, you know, food banks, uh, which are largely associated with churches, would just step in and fill the gap if we got rid of these assistance programs. That would be nice. And I think at one point that would have been the case. But that point was a long time ago. Okay, that's like uh, the people who think that communism is a nice approach or the people that just want to get rid of currency. Okay, they're just like, can we just go back to a barter and trade community? Um, it is nice in theory. It does not apply 
anymore. We cannot go back to that type of barter and trade community. We cannot go back into a world that does not have monetary, you know, currencies. Like we can't, we can't do that um, because just going back at the rate that we are in technology and, you know, education and all this stuff. I, I know I'm just throwing a bunch of words out there, but I hope you get what I'm saying. Um, uh, where we are now, we cannot go back to a society like that. Where we are now in a world where churches are largely filed as businesses, okay, it is hard to find a church that does not behave as such. And when you get down to brass tacks, it just doesn't make sense to say that they would be the ones to supplement all this government assistance if it was gotten rid of. That's all I'll say for this episode. There's like a bajillion things about this topic that I did not get into. Um, So if I didn't say something and you're like, oh my god, you should have said that, just leave it in the comments. Maybe I'll make another video about it at some point, another podcast episode or something. But for now, it that is what I have to say. Those are my thoughts that spurred from this Iowa legislation. I don't know if it's going to pass. I don't even know if they're going to amend it like the way they said they would, but I guess we'll find out. I'll try to update my social media pages if uh, it does pass or doesn't pass. But if you're watching this on YouTube, make sure to hit that like button and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, otherwise, new episodes of Subtle Rampage drop every Wednesday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and you'll hear from me again next week. Bye. Bye.